Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Well, thank you guys for all being here in my home in McKinney, Texas. And I want to thank everybody coming from SoundCloud and all over the world. I want to welcome you. I consider you as in your in my home as everybody that's joined me here in my beautiful home in McKinney, Texas this beautiful morning. Thanks be to God for another beautiful day that he's given us and that he's not given up on us and that he's given us another day. That means there's still hope and there's still chance for us to get to know him better and get to serve him and all these things, right? So awesome day, beautiful day. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer for service and then we'll get studying our, our chapter or our verses. So Lord, uh, we just thank you for bringing us here today, Lord. Thank you for all your goodness. Thank you for all your mercy. Thank you for all your grace. Thank you for um, life and breath, Lord. Every heartbeat is a gift from you. Lord, when we go to sleep, we don't even think about you know, the, the small gifts that you give us. But Lord, when we go to sleep, our heart keeps beating and our lungs keep beating or breathing and our brains keep going, Lord. Because if those things didn't happen, if we had to think about those things, Lord, we'd be in trouble. Because when we go to sleep, we wouldn't be able to make them happen and we would die. So literally, every breath is a gift. Lord, every heartbeat is a gift. Every thought is a gift. So thank you, Lord, for the basic gifts that you give all mankind. Thank you, Lord. I just pray that you'd bless this service, Lord. Bless this time together, Lord. Bless this message. Lord, your word says that call no one teacher. Call no one father in a spiritual sense because there is one teacher that is the Christ. So, Lord, we know that in your word, your Bible, your word says that your Holy Spirit is your teacher. So, Jesus Christ, please, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us today and teach us the things that you want us to know. Teach us the things that you want us to learn. May you be our teacher, Lord. May I just be the one that reads the words and and reads the things that you told me this week, Lord, to all those listening. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that you've given me to stand before people, Lord, and display and, and give your truths, Lord, to those that will hear and listen. Ask you to bless this message and bless our ears, Lord. May we keep keep those distractions out, Lord. Keep the devil out of our minds. Lord, help us to think clearly and help us to hear your message clearly today. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to turn with me, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32, and I will read them, but first, as always, my thoughts from last week. Remember my sermon last week, by what authority are you, Jesus Christ, doing these things? In our message last week, we talked about how the hard-hearted Pharisees wanted Jesus to tell them by what authority he was doing the miracles and the things that he was doing. Remember, he was making some proclamations, and he was healing people, and he was doing these mighty miracles and these mighty works. And they had already seen all these things. They had already known that Jesus had been doing all these works and all these miracles and all these things. And they had already known, as did everybody that was around him, that he claimed to be from God. Yet they still came to him again and said, well, how, what, by what authority are you doing all these things? Well, that's redundant. And in redundancy is disrespect. And in disrespect is scorn. Okay, So really they came to him in a scornful, disrespectful way again. By what authority do you do these things that were mocking him? Well, remember, Jesus answers them back with a roundabout scornful answer in return. 
Because the Bible does say in Proverbs 3.34, God gives grace to the humble but scorns the scornful. Okay, So my point to this overview, I felt like God wanted me to share this point, this main point, looking at that example and not following in those guys' example, but following the example that God wants to give us to how do we come to God today? How do we approach Jesus Christ today? He can still be approached. Now, he's not standing here in the physical like we are anymore. He can if he chooses to, but he chooses not to. So how do we approach Jesus, who can be in physical but is not, to this very day? Please remember that we need to always be careful. Look at the example of what we saw last week and how those people approached Christ in the wrong way and how he gave them a scornful answer to answer their scorn. And we need to be careful how we approach him today and how we come to him in prayer. Because that's how we come to God today is through prayer, since we can't approach him in a physical sense. Whether we're going to seek God in Christ or whether we're going to come to them on a daily basis in a relationship, we need to be careful how we come to God in prayer. So, what does the Bible say to us? How does the Bible say that we approach God in prayer? I mean, do we just step up and, hey, listen up, God. Listen up, Jesus. I got something to say. No, that's, that's, that's not good. How about, yo, what's up, God? It's Ed. I need this, this, that, this, that, this, that, this, that. You know, and just start naming off the things that I need. Well, of course not. Of course, that's not the way we approach God. If someone came up to you and just started talking to you like that, how would that make you feel? Well, it'd make, you'd probably be like, excuse me, sir, do I know you? Uh, uh, can I help you? Uh, in fact, maybe get away from me, sir. So that if you wouldn't want somebody to approach you that way, neither does God want to be approached that way either. Okay? So how does God in his words say that he wants to be approached? Well, keep things in mind as you come. Consider the Bible says he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the master of all creation. He's not just your buddy from school. He's not just your spouse or your kids. Not that we wouldn't come to them with some form of respect, but certainly not the way we should reverence Almighty and Holy God, the King of all creation, King of kings and Lord of lords. So how do we, how would we start? Well, of course, taking our example from last week and knowing their scornfulness, knowing their rudeness, come, of course, in humility and politely to be, you know, for begin, you know, to just begin. Come in humility and politely. And according to a man, the Bible says is God's man after his very own heart, King David, in Psalm 100, verses 3 through 5, he says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. So there's only one God, according to David, according to the Bible. Know that the Lord, he is God. So, of course, coming to him, he is one God. It is he, David said, who has made us, and not we ourselves. Remember, of course, that you didn't make yourselves. You you had no control over you being here. There was some divine hand that put you here. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. His pasture is the world. Okay? This is his world, it's not ours. Keep things, these things in mind as we come to God. He says next, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. 
Be thankful to him, he says, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So David just said, remember there's one God. As you enter into God, Almighty God, say, God, we praise you, or I praise you, or I thank you, God. Enter into his courts with thanksgivings and with praises. And be thankful and bless his name. David realized, hey, I've got to bless God. I've got to reverence God. He's mighty. He's the one true God. And I better give him thanks and give him praise no matter what, because guess what? He deserves it and he deserves to be honored. So what formal name do we give God? Do we just come and say, oh God, you know, oh almighty God, you know, this, that, anything? Well, that, you know, that could work if you didn't know. Well, now after today, you're going to know. What formal name do we give God when we come to him for thanksgiving and praise? Well, Jesus discusses that in Matthew, in his gospel, when the disciples come and ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he gives us an example in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. He says this, in this manner, therefore, pray. And you guys are probably all going to know this one, but we we take it for granted because we don't think about little things like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. So how do we approach God? What formal name do we give God? We call him our Heavenly Father. God's not a woman. God's not any kind of weird creature. He's a father, like you would think of your father, but an intimate father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you hear that, what Jesus just said? That's the thanksgiving and praise that David just spoke about in Psalm 100. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. Okay. Then Jesus goes into the petitions, things that you might be in need of. Then he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. That's a petition. That's, God, I need to eat today. And forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive our debtors. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven because I'm a sinner. See, it's something we need to be asking for. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So just remember, when you start your prayers, when you come to God, don't be like the religious Pharisees. Don't come and be scornful towards God or like we talked about last week, God will scorn you back. Come in humility. Come politely. Address him as our Father, my Father, my God, my Father, my Heavenly Father. You are great. You are, praise you, God. Look at this creation. Look at this earth and praise him and thank him for all the goodness. There's lots of good things to be thankful for that we live in this world that we live in. There's a lot of bad things, but those we know are not from God. That's from sin. That's from the devil. But all good things, the Bible says, come from above. So just remember to start your prayers with thanksgivings and praises to your heavenly Father. And from there, you may begin to ask for your petitions, etc. Whatever's on your heart, pour out your heart to Him. God, help me, whatever you may need. Always keeping in mind the idea that He is to be respected and honored as you speak with Him. Because, again... He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and King of all the universe and maker of all. Think of God like this because this is the way God portrays himself to man in the Bible. God is so loving, he's so kind, he's so good, and he loves it, the Bible says, when we come and we talk to him. Imagine God is like 
the soon-to-be spouse, maybe, that, you know, let's say you're single, and he's the soon-to-be spouse that, you know, you don't know it yet, but you'll be married someday to him. Well, the, the, there was one day in the past, if you're with somebody now, and if you're married, if you have a spouse or if you have a boyfriend, that you liked that person, and you thought, wow, you know, I'd, I'd like to get to know that person. So you came to them, and you said, hey, how are you? You know, uh, how, how's it going today? Hey, my name is so-and-so. Oh, what's your name? And so you started to get to know them. Well, that's exactly what God loves. He loves it when we come to Him. He loves it when we talk to Him. He loves it when we seek Him. He loves it when we approach Him. Just being simple and, and just, just I just want to get to know you. You know, how are you today? And uh, here's what's going on in my life today. But always remember that He simply deserves respect and praise from you when you come. Because He is the King. If you stand on these principles in your prayers... They will be pleasing to God and he will not scorn you as Jesus Christ did the religious leaders that we looked at in last week's message. And he will help you and lead you in all truth. That's what the Bible says. All right, let's move forward into this week's message. Our title of this week's message, The Parable of the Two Sons. It's exactly the way my New King James Version titles this section of scripture, The Parable of the Two Sons. So I left it at that, felt that's what God wanted me to title it. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to teach them. So if you want to join me, verse 28, Jesus is speaking here. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in your vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Jesus asked the question. They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that the tax collectors and harlots shall enter the kingdom of God before you. For God came to you in the way of for John, excuse me, came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. So in case you missed our first point there, and in case you missed last week, Jesus was in a conversation with these religious leaders last week that asked him, by what authority do you do all these things? Well, here in verse 28, we start out with Jesus. He said, but what do you think? He's asking a question. Who is he asking a question to? He's still talking to the religious leaders that had just answered him scornfully about John the Baptist, where the baptism of John the Baptist had come from. The word there, but, but what do you think, means that he's still talking to someone else. Okay, He's still addressing somebody. So he's still answering these religious Pharisees. Okay, verse 31 also makes it clear that he's speaking to the religious Pharisees in this little discourse, in this parable. So first, remember, Jesus gives the religious leaders back in Matthew 25, or 21, 25 to 27, he gives them a scornful answer to their scornful question of by what authority was he doing the things he was doing. So although he gave them this question, although he answered them back scornfully, he was not quite finished addressing the religious leaders as we see in our scripture today. He's not quite done answering them on the, the answer that they gave him about John and the question they asked him. And so you know, so you can be prepared. 
we're probably going to be in this in his answer for about three weeks. Okay, he will be talking to them about what they said for the rest of chapter twenty-one, all the way to verse forty-six, and actually all the way into chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen. Okay, he's got a lot to say to these guys about the answer that they gave him about John the Baptist and the scornful way that they asked him a question about what authority he did the things that he was doing. He wasn't shy. He wasn't scared of them at all. He was going to let him let them have a piece of his mind, and that was going to be it. And Jesus was just full of things to say to these guys to show them that they were wrong and that they had hard hearts for thinking and acting and answering the way that they did toward him and toward John the Baptist. So what? So just what does Jesus have to tell them about the scornful question they asked him and the answer they gave him about John? He decides here and the next two as well to demonstrate, to illustrate to them his thoughts, his comments in a parable. This is the first one. He'll answer them with this first one. With the second one, the rest of Matthew chapter 21 and 22, 1 through 14. He gives them three consecutive parables to talk to them about their hard hearts toward him and toward John. He starts off with this parable, uh, the parable of the two sons, and he goes on with two more. So today, I'm going to read over this first parable in verses 28 to 30, and we're going to give a short overview. I'm just going to kind of what it means, what is he saying, I'm going to describe it a little bit, and then we're going to go through exactly what he meant by this parable that he gave. So if you want to read with me again, I'm going to read over these two verses, and I'm going to, and I'm going to talk about them, and I'm going to discuss them, and I'm going to explain them. You can listen along or you can read along with me again. He says to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, in verse 28, he says, But what do you think? Question. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. But then he did not go. So what do we have? We have a man, and he has two sons. He has this vineyard. If we don't know what a vineyard is, a vineyard is a place where you grow grapes. It's a place to go work in. Okay? You go glean the grapes, you, make, you take these grapes, you take them to the wine press, you make wine, you let them ferment, so on and so forth. It's this man with his two sons owns a vineyard. He has two sons. Now, these two sons are kind of different personalities. We have the first son that says, he comes to his first son and he says, son, I want you to go work in my vineyard. And he says, all right, dad, I'm going, all right, I'm going to do it. All right, dad, I'm headed that way. Dad leaves, son goes, starts walking. He goes, you know what, man, I don't really want to do that. But I mean, I, you know, I told dad, so dad's going to, dad's going to think, second son, excuse me, dad's going to think that I did it, but, uh, you know, he doesn't go do it. He just kind of reneges. He gives dad lip service. Then we have the first son or second son, however you want to place him. Yeah, then you have the other son. And the other son says, no, dad, I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. I'm sure the dad was, you know, upset about that. But, you know, then again, there's really nothing he can do except kick him out of the house. You know, otherwise, he that's what he did. But then the Bible says here that that son... Although he said he didn't want to do it, and he said he wasn't going to do it, excuse me, 
He then turned from there and he thought to himself, well, you know what? I, I better go do it. And he relented, or another word is repented, which means he had a change of mind toward what his dad asked him to do. And he went and he did what dad asked him to do. So we have two sons, a dad in a vineyard, the vineyard which dad wants these two sons to go work in. So now, what in the world is Jesus talking about with this parable? I mean, you know, we may, I, I have two sons of my own, and I've, I don't know that I've ever had them do that to me, but maybe you have children out there, and maybe they've done that to you. But what is he saying to us in context? I mean, we can, people all over the place are pulling things out of God's Word and saying, oh, this is what this means because, you know, I say it. But what is Jesus saying to us in context here? Remember, He's speaking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he's asking them a question, and he has two people groups. So let's look at the meaning, what Jesus meant by this parable that he gave. That he gave, excuse me. I actually was talking to my wife the other day, and at first when I read this over, I had read this parable over, I, I can't probably tell you, 30 to maybe 50 times. I love the New Testament. I've been a Christian for about 14 or 15 years. And I can tell you that the New Testament has been the rock of, my, rock of my faith, and I love to read about Christ. And I have read this chapter in Matthew 30 to 50 times at least. And I brazened over this, this you know, idea and thought, oh, yeah, I, I got it. You know, one son does, and another son does. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, Lord God, I, I, I understand it. You know, if the son's going to do something, you know, he'll, he'll do it or he's not going to do it. And you don't like live service and all this. Ah, I got it. I got it. I got it. But what is Jesus saying to us here in context? What is he saying to us here in the meaning of this whole section? Okay, And I actually, at first, I was like stumped. I was like, God, I don't get it. What are you trying to say here? What's your meaning? What are you, what, what are you trying to put forth? And it was by God that gave me the revelation to this section because I actually was stumped at first. So to begin with, and I got this one down. And this one the Bible talks about all over the place. God speaks about this. There's, there's references to this in the Old Testament. Jesus references this in the, New Testament, in the New Testament. To begin with, we know that the man with the two sons was God. In the parable, that's God. Okay, And the vineyard is the world where God wants us to work. God has children, which are everybody's God's child, because everybody is made by God. Okay, and so everybody is a child of God, but not a spiritual child of God, but just a physical made child of God. And so God has this vineyard, which is the world that he wants his sons or people to come to him and work for him in. And like I said, the whole Bible has these ideas. Jesus talks about these ideas. We got that one down. But who are the two sons? Who are the two sons that Jesus is speaking about here? We have one son that said he wasn't gonna, and then regretted it, and repented, and did it, and then we have one son said, oh, I'll do it, gave, gave dad lip service, gave God lip service, and then went ahead and just didn't do it, and kind of went his own way. So who are these two sons? If we look to verse 31, we'll see who the two sons are. Notice the, the what you'd say, the uh, comparison Jesus makes in these people groups here. Verse 31, which of the two, say sons, did the will of his father? So they, the religious Pharisees, said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, which they would be right, Assuredly, I say to you that the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Notice the two people groups that he gave there. Tax collectors and harlots, or in other words, the Bible would call them, the New Testament calls them sinners. 
Meaning, I mean, we're all, we're all sinners, okay? Everybody on the face of the planet is a sinner. We've all broken God's laws. But when the Bible references here in the New Testament, tax collectors, harlots, sinners, they mean people that live in willful sin. People that aren't kind of trying to live for God. They just kind of live in whatever they do, the things they want to do, and they just live in purposeful, willful sin. Tax collectors, harlots, sinners. Kind of prostitutes, those kind of people. And then we have the other people. We have the religious Pharisees. Notice those comparisons between these two peoples. We have these religious leaders and these willful, sinful people that are living willfully in their lives any way they want. Well, God showed me this to this parable. You see, in life, really, and I'll make this statement before I reference the two groups of people here. In life, there are two types of people. There are people that say right away, ah, you know, God, I don't follow God. I don't have nothing to do with God. Yeah, whatever. And then you got people, you got another class of people that say, you know what? Ah, oh, you know, maybe God could make me money. You know, maybe God could, you know, maybe, you know, I can use God maybe for gain. You know, maybe it's good to have a religious outlook toward life. You know, maybe, maybe I'll be religious. And so you have people that kind of act religious, but then they're really not, they don't live a life for God. They just kind of live, you know, kind of outward, you know, looking like they do religious things. And then I would say, I would even add to that, there's a third group, the one that says, you know, I will, I'll go, I don't want to walk for myself, I don't want to live for myself. So you have one group that says, I'll just go. But Jesus doesn't mention him here because he has a purpose uh, to this parable. So in these two classes of people, these willful sinners and these religious leaders, we have the first, or I should say the second son. Verse 30, a picture of the religious leaders. We have people that become religious leaders. Uh, They made a decision at the age of accountability to tell God they would serve him and be on his path. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Okay, But really, they gave him lip service because as it turned out, as they kept going, man, this road of religion is kind of hard and I really don't want to live for God. So I'm just going to do my own thing. And, you know, I told God I'll follow him, but you know, really they just gave God lip service because they're too interested and wrapped up in living for themselves. That's the picture of the religious leaders that Jesus gave there. While we have the other son, the first son Jesus talked about verses 28 and 29, a picture of them. People who just chose right away in life. I'm not going to live for God. Fooey on that nonsense garbage. I'm just going to live for me. And I'll live for the moment, seize the moment, and live for myself and enjoy all the pleasures. Ah, that's just the way I'm going to go. And they have no regard for God at all. They just went on and they just did their thing. Well, that would be a picture of the willful, sinful harlots and that Jesus is speaking about here, comparing the religious leaders to in this section of Scripture here. And again, that's a picture of them in verses 28 and 29, the first son that Jesus gave. But a lot of those people, even to this day, do have a heart change. They do relent or repent, and they turn later on in life at some point, and they really do decide to follow God. You know, that's what they choose to do. So we have these two groups of people that Jesus is pointing out. One is the Pharisees whom had, who had just scorned him. One is the people that were kind of accepting of him. The people that were down and out. The people that had chosen their own path, but then, you know, kind of came around and kind of came to God later on. How do we know that Jesus has given this parable against, you could say, the religious Pharisees? Because it really is against them. Because he says there in 31, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom before you. That was a slap in their face. 
religious leaders, religious Pharisees, Sadducees, they thought we're the first into God's kingdom. We do all the things that God told us to do. We do them all, and therefore we're going to get to heaven and not those. They looked down upon the person that was caught in sin. They looked down upon the person that was fooling around in their own mess, and they thought, well, I'm religious, and I do all these spiritual things, and so therefore I'm going to go to heaven. And so when Jesus said here to them, don't get it wrong when he says, tax collectors and harlots are going to get into heaven before you, he wasn't saying that the religious leaders were going to get to heaven. He, He was slamming them. Saying, listen guys, you think you're going to be first, but really you're going to not enter at all because of the way you are. Okay? How do we know now this interpretation is correct? How do we know Jesus was aiming this parable at these two types of people that he was looking at in this section of scripture? Jesus tells us in verse 31 when he says the tax collectors and hearts will enter the kingdom of heaven before the religious leaders. And the key to knowing what Jesus is picturing, that, that Jesus is really picturing these two people groups, is the why the sinners will get to heaven before the religious leaders. Why will the sinners and tax collectors get to heaven and not the people that are pretending and giving God lip service? We find the why in our last verse, verse 32. He says the why. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. You could say and relent or repent, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Notice how he draws John the Baptist back into the equation. Well, what other points in Scripture do we have where we see John the Baptist and the religious leaders and the the harlots and the willful sinners? What other section of Scripture do we have that shows us that? Well, when John the Baptist came in righteousness from God, okay, he's telling them, you religious leaders, you lip service and religious leaders didn't believe him and repent and turn to God while the willful sinners did. We can read about how the religious leaders and the willful sinners acted when John the Baptist came and to see Jesus's parable come to life. I'm going to go to Matthew 3 verses 4 through 10 and I'm going to talk about what happened when they when you know John the Baptist came and we want to look at kind of the reactions of the different peoples as John came with his baptism of repentance. Matthew 3 4 through 10 Jesus said, "Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair" with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So we have one people group that lived in all Judea and all the region around the Jordan and all Jerusalem that were coming out to John's baptism. They respected John. They were coming out to John's baptism. They were letting John baptize them, and they were confessing, Lord, I'm a sinner. I realize I'm wrong. God, please forgive me. They were confessing their sins in John's baptism. That's one people group. So how do we know which type of people group that is? Well, actually, there's another people group that he mentions here in verse 7. Matthew 3, verse 7, he says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, This would be the religious leaders coming to his baptism. He said to them, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
Do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Okay, look at what they said. They said, we have Abraham as our father. He said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. We know we're doing wrong. We know we're living in sin. We know we're doing wrong, God. And God shows it to you. And if you are on God's path, you'll repent or relent. Or that means, wow, God, I see that I'm wrong. You're right, man. Wow. I can't believe it. Forgive me for my sin. And then, John says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Then you start then a road of stopping your activity, stopping your actions, and turning to God for help instead. And he says to them, don't think to yourselves we have Abraham as our father. This was because they were prideful. They thought, well, because I'm religious, because, you know, I'm a child of Israel, I'm a Jew, then, you know, I'm a child of Abraham, so therefore God will just accept me because, you know, I'm, I'm this child of God at this chosen lineage. Well, John here says, don't think that. Because I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So don't think that your heritage can bring you some special favor with God. Today we can even get caught up in that. Well, you know, I was raised Baptist, or I was raised this, or I was raised that. And I had a lady one time, I was doing street ministry in Plano near the church I was going to at the time, and I walked up to her and I said, hey ma'am, can I talk to you about Jesus? And she says, as she's getting into her friend's Corvette and running away from me, running away from God, well, my grandma was a Baptist deacon. Boom. She thought that because her grandma was a Baptist deacon, that that gave her some special in with God. And then, therefore, she was kind of like a religious leader here. Well, we're, we're, I'm of the seed of Abraham. I'm, I'm of the seed of God. <coughs> so I've got special favor with God because of this. And John says, no, you don't. God's able to raise up children from anybody. You could save from stones, from people, from any people group. And, and he says here, and he warns them. And even now in verse 10, he tells them, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, good fruit of repentance, if we're going to repent, then our lifestyle should follow in truth and holiness and not in sin. He says, therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is what John the Baptist told the religious leaders. Like I told you, Jesus earlier said the tax collectors and harlots are going to go in before you. He didn't mean that they were going to get in at all because John here says, no, you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire if you don't change. So if you continue to walk and do your sinful things, even though you may look righteous and religious on the outside, God knows your heart and you're going to end up going to hell because of the way you live. So, Look at this next idea, Matthew 11, 11 and 12. Go over to Matthew chapter 11, 11 through 12. Jesus has more to say about John the Baptist and how the religious leaders treated John the Baptist and even what they said about Jesus. Matthew 11, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of hef- heaven suffers violence. Or, when you look up the Greek there, 
It's not that violent people are taking God's kingdom away from him. Oh, I'm wrestling God's kingdom away from him. The Greek there says that the violent, <clears throat> that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. That would be people forcing their way into heaven is what Jesus was saying about after John's preaching. And he says, and the violent take it by force or the strong or the strong willed. No, I see I'm wrong. I've got to get to heaven. No, I'm going. Nobody's going to stop me. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with God. So the strong were going to take it by force or they were seizing it. They were seizing the moment. They were seizing the opportunity. All why? Because of John's preaching, mass amounts of people were getting saved. John was coming saying, repent Israel. You live in wickedness. You're sinners. You're living not in God's way. You're going to end up in the fire if you don't repent. In the, the lowly, the, 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 the tax collectors, the sinners, many of them were saying, oh, wow, we need to turn. Oh, gosh, he's right. Their consciences were convicting them, and they were like, you know, we need to turn. And so because of John's preaching, the same people that were, Jesus was saying here that the tax collectors and harlots were going to enter the kingdom before them because when John came and preached, they realized they were wrong and they repented and they turned to God. They became like that first son who said, I'm not going to do what you say, God. But then, wow, they repented and they turned and then now they're going to get to heaven firstly. They're going to be the first to get to heaven. According to Matthew 3, 5, 6, like I said here, Jesus said here, the willful sinners from all the land of Israel and even the world were going to be getting to heaven. And listen to the, what the religious leaders said about John according to Jesus here in Matthew eleven eighteen and 19. He goes on to say about John the Baptist, for John came neither eating nor drinking. Now this is the other side of the coin. Just like we have two sons in our scripture today, Jesus gives the other side of the son here. The other son gives us the other picture here. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. Well, who's they? Well, the religious leaders. The religious Pharisees, these lip service people, were saying that John had a demon. We're not going to listen to John. He's got a demon. And then they said about Jesus, unfortunately, in 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, I can tell you, I thank God every day that Jesus is a friend to tax collectors and sinners because I'm a sinner. And although these guys didn't think they needed help, they did. Well, the sinners realized they needed help, and God offered to them, and they took it. Hence, the two pictures of the two sons in the parable of the two sons. So it's easy to see that the religious leaders were not receptive to John's message of repentance and his coming from God, and they rejected him and did not turn to God's path, while the lowly, willful sinner and sinners accepted him and his message and repented from their evil, and they turned to God's path. Even past John's ministry, we can even look to Jesus' ministry. And it didn't just stop with John's ministry. Sinners didn't just stop coming to God after John was beheaded by Herod. They even came all the more. When we look to Jesus's ministry, we see examples of Zacchaeus, this, this head tax collector. This guy was like the head honcho. He was like the tax collector of tax collectors. And he heard Jesus was coming and he climbed up in a tree because this man was very short. Like, I'm not. This man was very short. Because he just wanted to see Jesus. 
So he climbed up in this tree and he looked down from this tree and he saw Jesus coming. And when Jesus was there, he climbed down the tree and said, Jesus, you must come to my house today and you must eat. And Jesus, not being a hypocritical Pharisee or religious leader, says, I'll go. He goes and as they're talking, as they're talking about God's kingdom and whatever things that Jesus was talking about, Zacchaeus says, I repent. I'm going to take everything that I've taken wrongly and I'm going to give it back. In fact, double and triple that. I don't want to live this way anymore, God. I want to follow God now. He was an example of the second, of the first son who didn't live for God initially and then turned and relented and then came to God afterwards. We see it with Matthew. A very, actually the Matthew that wrote the book of Matthew, this very book that we're reading, Matthew, this This disciple who wrote this gospel was a tax collector. He was a sinner. He was a Jewish man that worked for Rome, that worked for the Romans, that betrayed his people, was a hated Jew because of it, and he repented when Jesus came, like the first son did, and turned to God, and then actually, look, he's got his own book of the Bible, Matthew. Everybody, practically everybody knows about the Gospel of Matthew. And this guy was a rank first son sinner who chose not to say, say I'm going to not live for God, and then afterwards relented. See, when the sinners and the tax collectors and the harlots saw God and his love for them, they realized they were in need of salvation because they were not right in God's eyes. While the religious leaders had this self-righteousness and thought, I need no salvation. I'm working my way to heaven because of my religious duties and because of my religious actions. I'm going to work my way to heaven and and I'm not even going to, I'm going to be first there. God's proud of me. I'm doing all the right things. Even though they weren't, they had a self-righteousness about them and they didn't realize that they were wrong. Even though John the Baptist, Jesus, they were telling them they were wrong and that's one of the reasons why they hated John. That's one of the reasons why they hated Jesus because Jesus told them they were wrong and that's why they didn't want to listen. They thought, I want, to, I want to have my own religion. I don't want to worship God. I don't want to serve God. I just want to have my own religion. Now, that's for today. That's for the religious Pharisees. That's for the religious leaders. And then that's for you know the tax collectors and sinners of that day. That's, that's our section of Scripture for today. But you see, as I mentioned even before service, we can't get caught up looking at just the people of the Bible. Okay? We can't just look at the two people groups in the Bible and say, oh, wow, oh, that's nice for them. Oh, wow, that's, wow, look at that. They, oh, those people did that and those people did that. Oh, 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 close my Bible and that's it, I'm done. We can't just do that. Because, you see, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that the things that were written in the Old Testament, and we'll even transpose it over to the New Testament because we now have it all, as well, Paul didn't even have the New Testament, most likely in his day, We now have the whole Bible, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the things that were written are there for our example. They're there to show us the mistakes of the people of the past that they made. Because if we just look at the words of the Bible and say, oh, that's nice, that's good for them, and we don't apply it to ourselves, then we miss God's whole part of his point with his word. His word gives life. His word brings us salvation, okay? So we now have to look to the Bible and see what they did and say, where am I? 
Where am I? Which son am I? Because after all, Jesus just gave two sons. I know he wasn't surely just talking about people then. Because, I mean, God's word is still alive and here today. So that's what I want to close with today. we got to ask ourselves. Just as the religious leaders and the willful uh, sinners of Jesus' day had each chosen their paths at whatever their age of accountability was, whenever they really saw, hey, I know there's a God, and, you know, just as those people did that day, how they saw, and they chose their path. They chose to either act righteous and try to be righteous and choose a religion and try to work their way to God like that, or they just chose willful sinfulness and said, I'm just going to live for myself and go on about my own business, and that's going to be it. Just as we had those people then, Each of us today, as well as everyone in the whole world, has made this same decision once we came of age. And once we could understand who and the reality of God. So the question that I ask each one of us today is this. Which parable son, or which parable daughter, because you know, Jesus gave the parable of two sons, but we know that was just these two people groups, and well, today... We can just be men or women or even children. Which parable son or daughter are you? Which am I? Did you make a decision to serve God early on in life or to believe in God? But like the religious leaders have given God just lip service. You know, God, I'll follow you, but you know, I'll follow you. But then, you know, lived an alternate lifestyle. Really never lived for God or served him with your whole life. Or are you just a flat-out sinner? Rank sinner, I live for myself, and I do whatever I want to do, and I just, that's it. And you know, God, I'll get to God later, maybe. Are you like, which son are you like? Have you just flat-out lived for yourself and have had no regard, period? Or do you portray a, you know, a religious outlook, a religious kind of view toward others, you know, but you're really not? You know you. And you have to be honest with you and with yourself today and where you're at with God and where you're at with Christ. Because here's the bigger thing. You may think as you sit there and as you listen to me from all over the world, wherever you're listening to me from, for every chair in this house, you may be thinking, I, I know me. You know, that's, you know, I am the way I am. Oh, I'm, I'm, but I'm the only one that knows. But oh no. The Bible says that God knows thoughts afar off. God knows every single thing about you. He knows every intent of your heart. He knows whether you, which parable son or daughter you could say that you really are. And in fact, the Bible says that our hearts are wicked above all things and that no man can even know them. God even knows you and you and me better than we know ourselves. How scary is that? God even knows those times when kind of, you know, we've tried and then, you know, we, we kind of in our, our intent, we's like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, but I'm going to, you know. He knows that. He knows that you weren't really all there. He knows it. Even when you thought you fooled you, maybe you were even fooled yourself, but the gain was in it for you. But he knows that. So he knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows today which parable son or which parable daughter you are today. Well, today I stand here and you listen to me, but I'm like John the Baptist. See, I'm calling people according to God. God's call in my life. My wife has called me before the John the Baptist of today because that's what I do. I call people to repentance. 
And whether you are like the first son who just gave God lip service and pretended to live for God, or you just flat out not chosen God's path because you just want to live for yourself, you are not okay with God. You are not okay with Christ. And when you die, the Bible says that you will go to hell. And your destination will not be in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There is no such thing. We have in our world today a very dangerous thing. It's called the gray area. People think that there's this gray area. Oh, well, I can do five miles over the speed limit. I do 10 miles an hour. Everybody does that. Well, what does the law say? The law says 30. law says 40. law says 50. law says pay your taxes. law says, well, there's a gray area. You know, I, I can do... No, there's no gray area to God, though, see. To man, there is. To God, there's not. God says black or white and non-racial, God says it's either black or white every situation to me. Every situation is black or white. You either live for me or you don't, is what Jesus just said. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, there's confusion today. People don't really know what that means. I've been evangelizing people and talking to people about Christ for 15 years but this is, what, this is the real deal, and this is what the Bible says. Because a lot of people today in our country, especially in America, believe I'm a Christian, and that's because they prayed some prayer one time, or they you know, said this or said that, or you know, they made a decision at Bible camp one time, oh, I love you, Jesus, you know, and, and they thought, oh, that's it, I'm saved, I'm good to go, and I'm going to heaven. But really, in essence, the Bible says that if you're for Christ and if you're for God, then that means that you chose to live your life for them. You chose to love them by your words and by your actions and not just by your lips. Because if I live one way, but then I speak another way, well, that's what the Pharisees did here. The Pharisees said one thing, but they lived another way. Remember, Jesus called them whitewashed tomb. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones, but outside, man, you make everybody look, think, you're, I look pretty, I look good. But that's not the case. Living for God, being saved, is living for God, loving them by your words and your actions and not just your lips. If you are for God, if you are for Christ, you are constantly looking to their word, the Bible for direction, and keeping your life in line with the ways that God says that you should live. And the Bible says that if you're not for Christ, then you're against Him. And if you're against Him, then you have chosen the path of self-worship. I live for myself. I don't live for God. And the path of self, self-worship leads to hell and condemnation. That's the bad news. That's the terrible, terrible bad news. And there are many in our country, especially in America, that are in that boat. But as we spoke about before service. Believe it or not, God does not want anyone to be against Him. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to perish. 2 Peter 3.9 God desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. So it's not God's will for anybody that they perish. It's not His will that anybody choose a path against Him. It's not his will. It's his desire for everybody to be saved. That's why he showed his love for you and me on the cross. 
That's why God came in the form of a man. And he chose to lay down his life for you. It's not God's fault if you don't live for him. It's not God's fault that you haven't chosen to live for him. He can't make that decision for you. You have to make that decision for yourself. Just like that day, that faithful day, if you're out there and you're listening to me, you got married. You chose the path of marriage, or you're choosing right now the path of singleness. Right now, God's calling everybody to repentance, or you could say God's calling everybody to a marriage with Him. And then just like in a marriage, if I'm going to get married to my wife, but then I go out and cheat on a bunch of girls, and, or cheat on her with a bunch of girls, and I go out and live you know, a life of a single person, I'm not going to be married very long. That's the same way a lot of people have treated God. They come to God like the religious Pharisees. Oh, God, I want to follow you. Then they walk out of that decision. And then they walk right into the club. They walk right into the bar. They walk right into the strip club. And they just go do. And they walk right into the alcohol. And they go right back into the the, the lifestyle that God abhors. And that's not God's desire. That's why he gave himself to die for the sins of the world. That's why he gave himself to be the propitiation of your sin so that all that relied on him, all that turned to him, all that said, I God, I want you could be saved from God's wrath to come because the Bible talks about God is going to pour out wrath upon the world. God is going to pour out his wrath upon those that don't, that continue to live that willful, willful, sinful life. So today... I'm like John the Baptist. And I'm calling out and I'm saying, guys, girls, parable sons, parable daughters, where are you? Because if you're not for them, you're against them. And God says, come to me. Be for me. I'm for you. I won't hold anything that you've done against you, anything that you've done in the past. I just want you to come to me. I just want you to be mine. I just want you to love me like I love you. Come to me, please. And so wherever you're at, know that God's not mad at you. But know that if you're not walking with Him, you're against Him. But He wants you to turn to Him. And He's offering you that right now. He says, come. I don't care about where you've been. I just care about where we're going. So come to me, please. And I'll accept you. And I'll take you in and I'll clothe you with white garments and I'll make you pure and I'll forgive you of all your sin because I love you. So wherever you're at, know that there's hope but that you have to turn to Him or else you're against Him. So please today, on your way, going wherever you're going, think about these things and understand that it's a life choice and God wants you to marry Him and be His forever. And if you're not there, please get there. Because just like John the Baptist, repent, please, or else the wrath of God will be waiting for you when you die. Join me in a word of prayer, please. Thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you so much for John the Baptist's message, Lord. Thank you so much for your message, Jesus. Thank you so much. For, Lord, we know, Lord, each one of us knows which path that we're on. Lord, in any that are out there that are listening to me all over the world, wherever they may be, if they're in just willful sin and living for themselves, and even though maybe they're shown in a righteous 
outside and they're really not living for God, Lord, you know who they are and they know who they are. Or, or those that have just said, oh, you know, God, yeah, whatever, I'll get to them someday. And you know that they're against you too. And just like John the Baptist was out there preaching in his day. And those people knew it then too. But Lord, that's why you called John the Baptist. That's one of the missions that you gave Jesus. To call not, not the righteous to repentance, but the sinners. Not those who think, oh, I'm all righteous and I've got it. I'm, I'm healed. I don't need anything. I'm good to go with God. But those that realize, wow, I didn't know that I have to be for God or I'm against Him. So, Lord, the message of repentance is not a sad one or it's not a bad one. It's a good one. And I pray that everybody listening to me would realize that and not, you know, not take a self-righteous attitude after they hear this message, but realize, wow, I've missed the mark. And that they would turn to you, Lord, with all their heart and not just their mouths. And that they would surrender to you and give you their lives and make you their Lord. And then and just stop playing games. Because, Lord, this life will soon be passed. Lord, we will all die very soon. But, Lord, afterwards, that's what matters. What matters is where we'll be for forever. We only live in this life for a few years, really, uh, in the span of eternity. I pray, Lord God, that we'd, we'd be more mindful of an eternal perspective, Lord, and not just a, a right here, right now perspective. Thank you, Lord God. Please turn men and women and children unto you by your word and by this message. I love you and I praise you, dear God, and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.